Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of realeverything.com. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Third time's a charm, whole view listeners. It's episode <laughs> 442. Um, we are having a snowstorm here on the East Coast. And I think with it, it has brought mercury and retrograde <laughs> and all the superstitions Sarah refuses to believe in. So I believe, I believe the moon was full yep. weekend, wasn't it? Yeah. Full mm-hmm. moon, mercury and retrograde. I forgot to say rabbits, rabbits in the first of the month, all the things. So oh, did the groundhog see his shadow this morning? I, I don't even know. Whatever the wrong thing is, I'm a hundred percent sure okay. that's what happened. So um, that, yes. Because if he sees the shadow, six more weeks. I think that's... Well, clearly six more weeks for having a blizzard. Anyway. Also, technically, spring doesn't start for like... It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) All of my plants are dying because they had blooms from it being nice weather a couple of weeks ago. But it's fine. Um, So, with that, we do know that it is... It is a new fresh start, a new month. And I'm hoping that you're seeing less like advertisements and pressure to conform to some sort of dietary standard that makes you not feel good. So instead, we're approaching this from the perspective we always like to approach this and addressing the differences with the dietary protocols that are focused on health. So before we jump in, um, we do have a question and we're going to be talking about the differences between many of the dietary protocols that we have talked about on the show before. But I just want to remind you that this comes from a place of optimizing health. We are not here to tell you to lose five pounds to fit into your genes. In fact, we have done multiple shows that talk about yo-yo diets and doing dietary protocols for the goal of weight loss as actually having a potential harmful effect on your health. So this show, we're really going to talk about the things that we have personally experienced and the scientific literature shows can be beneficial to your health because that is the goal. We're all going to look different if we eat the exact same diet. We're all going to look different even if we were in quote unquote perfect health. So just remember that you're here in a safe place to learn and to not feel pressured. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that so much as a as a, a a centering philosophy because I think, you know, as I read Shirley's question, um, you know, one of the things that I think right now, you know, context global pandemic, um, and we're all kind of over it, and we can't actually let our guard down. And I think that given that one of the things that is such a common experience right now is stress and anxiety um, and overwhelm, right? And just like balancing way more than we would ever put on our own plates if we had control over what is on our own plates to as a to-do list right now. Um, and so I think that, you know, like, well, I'm going to read Shirley's question. This is actually very representative of a number of questions that we've had come into the the podcast lately of like, 
I just don't know where to start. There's, there's, uh, you know, we recognize that this show has, as much as we've followed the science, in a lot of ways, it's also documented our own individual health journeys and the ups and downs that we've had in our health journeys. Um, you know, we're not, we're not people who, um, who hide our own individual challenges from our audience to paint this, like, do like I do rosy picture. And then you'll have the, whatever the six pack abs or the perfect glowy skin or whatever it is. Like, that's not our approach. That's not an approach that we endorse. We want to focus on health and, uh, we want to be real about challenges that are, um, common challenges, challenges that are things that can come out of the blue, um, and share with you how we've navigate those challenges. Um, not as a teaching moment, not as a do like I do type, uh, approach, but as a, um, as Stacy loves to say, as endorsing a solution oriented mindset. Uh, and so a lot of this conversation that we're going to have today about the sort of like umbrella terms for diets at the end of the day, this is about health and this is about, you know, taking a step back from our own lives and trying to look for, um, what is doable, what is approachable, what is sustainable, um, what are the small steps I can do now and troubleshooting our own challenges and just taking that, taking that breath of, I got this, I can do this. And maybe I do this by breaking it into 10 or 20 steps. And here's the step I can do now, but really looking at our own barriers to health, to achieving our own individual goals as an opportunity to find solutions to affect lasting positive change. I love that your mold, your mind is moldable and that you're learning. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're solution oriented. We're all these things. Yes. hundred percent. All right. Open, open to new information. Open yes. to new information. It's, yeah. it's something That's what I would we do recommend. on the show. Yes. It's something I would recommend we all be open to. All right. I'm, I'm ready to jump in. Let's do this. All thing. right. So this is Shirley's question. Hello, Dr. Sarah and Stacy. I assume that's how she says hello. Just like, hello. It just it screams that from the question. I don't know. That's probably not it at all. I apologize, apologize, Shirley, if that's not how you say hello. I was so happy to find your podcast during these strange times and I found all of your COVID shows so helpful. I understand that neither of you strictly follow any of the diets you talk about on the show, AIP, Sarah's Gut Health Diet, and Paleo, but rather use them to find out what worked best for you over time. For those of us just starting out, how do we go about picking a diet to start from? Is there a hierarchy here? And where does being a Nutrivore fit into all of this? Apologies if you've already covered this, but I am slowly working my way through your shows. I have come to trust your recommendations, and I would like to redo my own way of eating. I just don't know where to start. Thanks in advance for your help, Shirley. Okay. I know you're going to go into all of this, but I'm just going to give like the quick, we were really bad at like... What do they call it? Fire answers. Rapid fire, Rapid fire answers. Yeah, um, we don't do that. We're just yeah, we can't. It's, we've tried. It's that's also why I'm terrible at Twitter. I can't talk short. 
There's no, <laughs> it's just, it's not, it doesn't work for how my brain wants to explain things. Sorry. So, elevator rides, terrible. No, people say elevator pitch. I'm like, what, how many floors? <laughs> yeah. uh, so this is where you like are going up the, what was it? Is it the Empire State Building yeah. where you have to like get off and then go up again? Go up another yeah, yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So I'll give the actual elevator rapid fire answer, which is that <laughs> um, autoimmune protocol is an additional development like one step beyond paleo. Paleo was developed to be um, ancestry based, hence the name shortened for Paleolithic. And it removes foods essentially that our ancestors wouldn't have had. It's a lot more complicated than that. And we'll get into it. But you can think about it from that perspective. Then you've got the autoimmune protocol, which focuses on your immune system's response. And so it's taking out additional and in potentially inflammatory foods that are still included in paleo. For example, the nightshade family of vegetables. Perfectly healthy for someone that doesn't have an immune response to those foods. Um, And then we're going to talk about Nutrivore, which is the evolution of where Sarah and I have kind of gone in terms of food evolution, which is um, less of a perfection, less of a like, and this fits in the box, and more about following foods from a nutrient-based perspective, prioritizing your microbiome and your gut health. Okay, done. Show's done. That's I've it. totally made it to like, I mean, we could have gotten off was, on like the fourth floor, you know? I was going to say, well, I was going to say definitely like the the condo that I used to rent a, an apartment in when I was newly married, I could have made it to my apartment in the elevator and heard that whole pitch. There you so, go. So hopefully you're going to stay for the rest because it's a lot more complicated than that. (laughs) But I think if you're trying to like put things into swim lanes, that's, that's where they go. And there is a lot of crisscross, right? There's a lot of like waves that go across all three lanes. So yeah, I would almost say, you know, one of the things about, um, I like, I almost want to create like subcategories because the lines between these approaches are pretty blurry. And I think where the lines are blurry is what we'll, we'll talk about, which is using these protocols as a way of honing in on a personalized optimal diet. So really, you know, exactly what Shirley said is that we've used these protocols as ways of identifying our own trigger foods, as well as understanding the nutrients that our bodies seem to really need and crave so that we can have an additional nutrient focus on foods that are rich sources of those. Um, and so using these diets, they, they can all be kind of used as a tool in the same way. Um, but I think it's important to kind of talk about, um, the, the, I don't know, the different sizes of umbrellas, the hierarchy, the hierarchy, let's use Shirley's word, the hierarchy. Um, and then who, like, what are the considerations for where to start? Like, if you're looking at all of those and you're like, well, I, I know I need to do something. Um, what are the different things that you might think about that will help you figure out where is the best place to start for you? Because one of the things that Stacy and I don't do on this show is rigid rules and yes, no food lists and uh, perfection or bust and... Um, and one size fits all. Like those are those are not things that we do. This is very much about understanding the universal truths when it comes to nutrition, the things that are true no matter who you are. And in fact, you know, often those things are true no matter what 
species you are, right? They're just as true for our, our pets as they are for us because certain things are like having the raw materials for chemical reactions, helping those chemical reactions go, right? That's that's just a universal truth. So we try to recognize universal truths while also understanding that um, there is this thing called bioindividuality, which does legit change how our individual bodies respond to certain diet choices, but also lifestyle, right? Some of us are much more resilient to stress, to getting stuck in traffic than others, right? So some people go all road ragey and other people go, cool, I get to listen to my podcast more. I'm assuming that people who are listening to our podcast when they're stuck in traffic are in that latter group of like, <laughs> yay. Uh, especially if it's a two hour show. No, we've, we've been doing <laughs> a lot better. Um, so I would say, let, let me just kind of break it down. Again, super simple. If you are currently patroning fast food restaurants on a regular basis, jumping into making your own organ meat burgers at home is probably too far a jump, right? So we're going to talk about these things and you might hear, oh, I do have um, like an autoimmune condition flare of some kind. Um, I would say kind of, you know, we're going to talk about where to start and, and listen to your body's cues. What all of these three things have in common ultimately is trying to reduce your body's own inflammation, increase the nutrient density, and help you feel your best. So as you are doing any sort of elimination diet and prioritizing nutrient density, listen to your body. It will it will tell you things. And this does take time to get used to, but I will say, you know, have after having done this for over 10 years now, I can like feel my lips tingle when I eat something that has a hidden nightshade in it. And, you know, different kinds of things like that that I wasn't necessarily um aware of previously. So these are the kinds of things that um really guide me as I take this journey. So, okay, Sarah, hit your not right. elevator pitch version. <laughs> okay. So let's, um, I like to go from like the, the top of the funnel down. So like the, the widest, most flexible health promoting diet down to the most specific. So the top level here is Nutrivor, which is actually the same as the gut health diet. I mean, in my, um, gut health guidebook and gut health cookbook, I definitely provide a lot of science behind how foods are interacting with the gut microbiome. But really it boils down to like the same nutrients that support a healthy gut microbiome are the same nutrients that support a healthy us. And so it's just a different way of looking at the value of the same collection of foods. And so the idea behind Nutrivore, um, you know, we did a whole epic, gigantic, long show about it um, just a few weeks ago. So definitely go back and listen to that show or finish listening to it if you got halfway through and went, oh my gosh, this is too long of a podcast. Um, but the idea behind Nutrivore is really simple. It's that we get all of the nutrients, both essential and non-essential, that we need to thrive from the whole diet. So rather than thinking about uh, a food being a yes or a no food, the idea is to look at the quality of a diet as a whole and look at supplying the body with ample amounts of all of the nutrients. And we include non-essential nutrients like 
polyphenols and CoQ10 and um, DHA and EPA long chain omega-3 fats and fiber, right? Those are all listed as non-essential um, nutrients, but we know that they're actually really, really important for health. So just because we won't die if we don't consume them, that's very different than saying that we don't need them. Um, so the the term non-essential, I think, is very misleading. So on a Nutrivore diet, we respect all nutrients, essential and non-essential, and we try to get all of the nutrients that we need from the foods that we eat. And so that approach, you know, I really think of uh, a Nutrivore diet, right? The AIP is a Nutrivore approach with some extra focus on eliminations and lifestyle. Um, you can apply Nutrivore to paleo. You can apply Nutrivore to Mediterranean diet. You can, right, there's, you can apply Nutrivore to other dietary templates. It is a diet modifier. It is not necessarily a diet by itself. It is a, an approach that can be layered on top of other strategies provided that dietary strategy doesn't eliminate all food sources of a nutrient um, as you would with like raw vegan or carnivore um, or some very extreme versions, actually many different applications of keto. Those are diets that because of their extreme uh, either macronutrients or, you know, cutting out like all animal foods or all plant foods, those diets don't actually, they're not actually compatible with a Nutrivore approach because they cut out all food sources of various nutrients. Um, so with the exception of those, a Nutrivore approach can be applied to many other types of diets. So that's the top level is just trying to get all of the nutrients that our bodies need, right? It's all the raw materials, all of the chemicals that are used up in chemical reactions, right? It's when you think about the way any cell in our body performs its function, whether that's a heart cell or a lung cell or a brain cell, is through chemical reactions. And in chemical reactions, there can be things that facilitate a reaction, right? Enzymes tend to facilitate chemical reactions. And then there's the, the chemicals themselves that are used up in the reaction. And so you need to have all of the raw materials that are in, in every used up or needed for every part of that reaction in order for the cell to do its job. If the cell can't do its job. The system that it belongs to will not be able to do its job and some kind of health problem or even just suboptimal, you're not as healthy as you could be, will be a result. And those raw materials, those things that are needed for all those chemical reactions are nutrients. So top level, just supplying the body with what it needs to do its thing. The one level down from that I think of as paleo plus or 80-20 paleo. Um, there's various sort of variations of paleo out there that are highly related that many people have given their, you know, put their own names on. Um, paleo plus would be sort of like the most, uh, I guess, broad branding of this. And so this would be a version of the paleo diet that adds um, some specific foods, they're typically nutrient-dense foods. Um, they're often gut microbiome superfoods. They're foods that can add more slow-burning carbohydrates for athletes. They're basically foods that add more flexibility. So the most common additions would be grass-fed dairy. So that would be like a primal diet would include that. Um, it's hopefully A2 dairy, which is the kind of dairy that's good for the gut microbiome. Uh, traditionally prepared legumes, 
Um, and even like traditionally prepared grains might be included on like Western A Price Foundation, highly related, um, maybe sprouted pseudograins. Rice might be something that's added for athletes so that they just have that slow burning starchy carb to help fuel recovery and replenish glycogen stores. So that that sort of like 80-20 paleo or paleo plus is sort of the next level down. So it ideally would still be implemented with a nutrivore approach. But in this case, we are cutting out most of the strict paleo foods. So that's the next level down, strict paleo. So what paleo um, has traditionally looked like, um, again, ideally you're you're using the guiding principles of a nutrivore approach uh, in your food choices, but you're also eliminating empty calorie foods that happen to be common allergies, sensitivities, and intolerances, and also happen to have been sparsely or not at all consumed by our uh, Paleolithic ancestors, as well as hunter-gatherers that are um, contemporary and uh, still eating their traditional diets. So this eliminates manufactured foods, right? Anything processed, refined. Um, it eliminates grains, legumes, and dairy. There's a lot of conversation to have around, should it be all grains? Does it need to be, right? There's um, some debate um, outside, like on the fringe of, of paleo, where we can see, well, you know, Neanderthals actually consumed oats and fava beans and the, um, there's right tribes in, um, Australia where they consume legumes on a regular basis. Um, there's always exceptions, but as a broad rule, when you sort you sort of look at, um, ancestral populations as a whole, the foods that in times of plenty formed the basis of the diet are, um, those foods that were hunted and gathered that are very, very nutrient dense. Um, so, uh, roots and tubers that could be dug up leaves, mushrooms, berries, other fruit, depending on exactly, you know, where this is seafood, sea vegetables, and of course meat eating snout to tail. So those are the types of foods, nuts, and I should definitely say nuts and seeds as well. And those, those, so those foods form the basis of a paleo diet. So it's sort of a, it's definitely an ancestral approach, but it also, if you look at it from a nutrivore perspective, you can see that the foods that are included in these traditional diets are the most nutrient dense foods. And like the wild versions of the plants that are being um, gathered are also more densely packed with nutrients than what we typically grow in farms. So the nutrient quality of these diets is incredibly high and in different regions there's variability. So there's also, again, um, there should be an elimination and challenge aspect to paleo respecting that there's a lot of different ways to implement a diet within these broad guidelines and that, um, there are a lot of foods that you can point to and say, well, look, you know, know, some, some hunter gatherers consumed something like this. Um, so there should still be a elimination challenge aspect, um, where you're testing your own individual tolerance to gray area foods that aren't super clear cut, whether or not they should be included or excluded on the paleo diet. And also that kind of blurs the line between what would be called strict paleo and paleo plus or 80, 20 paleo. So finding your own wiggle room within 
that structure to be able to really understand how your body is responding to those specific foods. And then the, the bottom of this particular funnel hierarchy, the most specific diet is the autoimmune protocol or AIP. So this is for sure a Nutrivore approach. Um, it's, it's Nutrivore is incorporated into the basic facets of the AIP plus eliminating a larger collection of foods that have the potential to drive inflammation. So on top of processed and refined foods, grains, legumes, and dairy that would be eliminated on a strict paleo diet. The AIP also eliminates eggs, vegetables of the nightshade family. So that's the tomato family, as well as nuts, seeds, and alcohol. And it includes an equal focus on lifestyle, including sleep, stress, activity, nature, and connection. And it's a phased approach. So the self-discovery part of the journey is built into the autoimmune protocol. So the idea is to use this um, more structured dietary template in order to identify trigger foods while also taking a very holistic approach to diet and lifestyle, basically looking at everything that can potentially be driving inflammation, um, immune system overactivation that is behind the uh, pathogenesis of autoimmune disease. So basically taking this very comprehensive approach, not to the exclusion of other medical interventions or supplements prescribed by a functional medicine practitioner, those can still be incorporated. And in these three phases, the first phase is elimination, where you really try to cut out all of the most likely problematic foods, reintroduction where you methodically test those foods to see if you react to them and you reintroduce to your diet those that you, you don't react to, and then maintenance, which is that it, that part where you go, okay, that's where Stacy and I are at. We know the foods that are totally fine for our bodies. We don't react to them at all, and we can include them on a daily basis. Um, and we also, through our own health journeys and through the ups and downs, have identified um, what I think of as sometimes foods. So foods that if I eat them, some of them are, you know, once a month. Some of them are even foods I can eat once a week. No big. My, my body is fine with that. But if they start to creep into my daily diet, then I'll start to notice like the slow uh, increase in inflammation and symptoms. And and I know, okay, you know, that, that really is not a food that my body likes to consume every day. But if I can keep the um, frequency of consumption and the volume of consumption below this threshold level that triggers inflammation and symptoms, then it's something that I can enjoy on occasion. And that is really something that can only be identified through this very methodical process that is part of the AIP. I think one of the things that I'll also mention, which we haven't included here, just to kind of further confuse and make things muddy, is there's a lot of different terms that you might hear as part of this, so sometimes there's like a FODMAPS protocol for gut health. Mm -hmm. Sometimes um, there's GAPS, there's SCD. These all fall, fall under this general umbrella of improving gut health. So if you are focusing on 
Nutrivor and you're focusing on building up your gut health with probiotic foods and a lot of the different things that we talk about, um, those might not apply. But I do know that there are people with um, some conditions, especially in the gut, who um, don't tolerate, uh, for example, broccoli and cauliflower. I'm thinking of like people with intestinal um, conditions, right? Or whatever. And so there is like you can still be Nutrivor and FODMAP protocol, which is intended to be temporary, by the way. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was going to make sure to say that if you didn't. Yes. (laughs) Let me, let me just be very clear. These are like short-term elimination diets to help you kind of like. They're for symptom management. Yes. So they're basically like a boost to like bring your symptoms down so that you can focus on gut health and then reintroduce those foods because the foods that are eliminated on a low FODMAP approach or GAPS or SCD or Candida diet, or like any of these sort of um, very elimination only focused approaches. Um, FODMAP's really the only one that's been well studied in the scientific literature and actually has some scientific validity. And its validity is strictly as a symptom management tool that is designed for short term symptom management, not for long term. Cool. I mean, I mean, that's if you have specific questions on those. Google's your friend. And I know Sarah also has a lot of detailed articles on her website that could help you out. Um, But I just wanted to kind of like throw that into the mix because I do feel like it's confusing when you hear all these different things and you're like, I just want to feel good. Yes, (laughs) So let's say that's, that's how you're feeling. Where do you start? (laughs) um, I'm, I'm glad you brought up um, actually the, the broader point of food sensitivities and intolerances, because I think that's also like another layer to, to think about here is that, um, you know, like I'm teaching the AIP lecture series right now, and I have a number of people who've done extensive, um, food sensitivity testing. And so they have these lists of, you know, 17 different perfectly healthy AIP foods that showed up as like high reactors on their, their food sensitivity tests. And so we're talking in the course about how to, you know, how to make sure that we're still getting, um, food variety and we're still hitting all of our nutrient targets on the AIP with this additional list of foods to eliminate. And there's, there is, I think there is this extra challenge when, um, you have a highly reactive immune system, when your gut is not healthy, that you can develop, allergies or intolerances or sensitivities, those are different mechanisms driving the reaction to foods that otherwise, you know, are like broccoli and cauliflower. They're super healthy foods. Like why would you eliminate those, um, under like normal circumstances? Like you wouldn't cause they're like fantastic and super versatile in the kitchen plus delicious. Right. So, um, so part of the self-discovery process can also be, you know, either working with uh, somebody like an AIP certified coach or a functional medicine or an integrative medicine specialist, um, you know, working with somebody to help identify uh, sensitivities that are to otherwise healthy foods, but that continuing to eat a food that you, that triggers an immune reaction is not going to help 
healing, right? It's not going to, it's not overall, it's not, it's not going to help. Um, and so part of the self-discovery journey can actually be this like troubleshooting phase of working with a professional, taking food, um, like keeping a food diary, a food and symptom diary, and or doing additional testing to dig deeper into like root causes that are driving um, reactions to foods, reactions to suboptimal lifestyle that are outside of diet and lifestyle that are driving symptoms, um, things like a persistent infection that might need to be treated. So there is always this extra step no matter where on this hierarchy you start, where you like, you bring in the professionals and can work with them to, um, really like tinker with your own individual implementation. And that's where medical intervention, um, you know, smart, judicious, um, informed use of medications or supplements or, uh, therapies might, be additionally, not just additionally beneficial, but like required in order to really see the difference that a really healthy diet and lifestyle can actually make. Yes. Period. Mic drop, but not really. <laughs> okay. Um, so if you are working with a medical professional, clearly that's going to be easy for you to figure out where to start. And just as a reminder, Sarah and I are not medical professionals. And um, there are AIP coaches or different kinds of people that if you're looking for someone to work with, how do they how do they connect with you on that, Sarah? Is that something you still? There is an AIP coach directory online, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Perfect. Okay. So let's say you're like Sarah and I, and you're just tinkering, <laughs> and you want to figure out kind of like... Where to start? So what I um, talk about with my AIP lecture series um, students, but also I've had this conversation approximately a bajillion times at uh, conferences, book signings, workshops, right? Live events. Um, I, I always turn this back into questions. Like where to start is very much a that depends. Um, again, I don't think that there's a, um, a rule, like a simple, like I break it down to, uh, if you're this, do this. And if you're this, do this. Like, I wouldn't even break it down as far as saying, like, if you have autoimmune disease, do the AIP, otherwise do Nutrivor, right? Like I wouldn't even simplify it like that. So, um, the way that I think about it is there's like two sides to this equation. So the first side is, um, what are your health challenges and goals. And the other side of it is how do you best affect change and what are your individual barriers to change? Um, and then you can kind of work inwards to here's, here's the best place for me to start. So looking at health challenges, I mean, as a general rule, rule if you had autoimmune disease or a chronic illness um, driven by inflammation, the AIP would be the best place to start. But that's only one piece of this equation, right? So there's other things that might make you go up the hierarchy from there. Um, if you have symptoms without a diagnosis, um, you could start at AIP, but it's probably just as good to start with a Nutrivor version of Paleo or Paleo Plus and start working on a food and symptom journal to identify additional sensitivities. 
If you have age-related health challenges, you're probably fine to start with a Nutrivor approach. If you have no particular health challenges, you're overall pretty healthy, you just want to be healthier, like definitely like a Nutrivor approach is where you will still see amazing results because the biggest thing here is addressing nutritional insufficiencies and deficiencies and give you a launching off point to tinker um, while giving you the most flexibility. So health challenges and then health goals. So are you looking to manage or mitigate that autoimmune or chronic illness? Are you looking to lose weight? I will point you to our recent podcast on um, the stigma associated with weight and how that's more damaging than actually being overweight. So let's actually look on centering our goals. Um, let's look at whether or not uh, weight gain is a symptom of something like hypothyroidism. Um, but I understand that that is the health goal that brings a lot of people to a health journey. And I want to respect that um, that gets your foot in the door. And then we're going to talk about health instead of weight loss. So um, here, welcome foot. Now, let's talk about getting healthy to lose weight rather than losing weight to get healthy. Excellent. Um, maybe performance um, is, you know, at the gym is your health goal. Maybe it's just general health or healthy aging. So, you know, in general, the, the health goals that are um, not related to specific diagnoses, your are you're, Best starting place is probably something like Nutrivor or a Nutrivor-focused Paleo Plus um, as a launching point, um, providing you with the most flexibility so that you can make um, the best – it's like basically ma making the best bang for your buck changes. Um, it also gives you the space to focus on lifestyle, um, and it, it doesn't set you up to be um, following such a – rigid dietary structure, um, which ideally won't lead to feeling deprived or, or making it so that, um, you can't, you know, you're spending so much time cooking. Um, you don't want to set yourself up to make it so challenging day to day to do the dietary strategy that you've chosen that you can't stick with it. Right. The idea here is, um, to set yourself up so that, you are starting your health journey with a great place to start that will really help you see results, um, that really help improve your health, um, really give you a great launching off point to tinker further, um, but that you're also starting it at a place that's really accessible. I often talk about um, in my course, which is you know, very friend of mine because I'm teaching it right now, of um, making the AIP fit into your life rather than making your life fit into the AIP. And that same approach can be applied to any of these dietary strategies. The idea is to make as many uh, better choices in terms of diet and lifestyle as possible and um, maintain as much flexibility and kindness to ourselves when we don't make the better choice as possible while still um, while still having the accumulation of those choices be sufficient to drive improvement in health. Yes. So I think um, one of the things that I have tried to do as I actively seek to remove some of these diet culture standards that really mm -hmm. get in the way of health goals. So I, I just want to like phrase that in a way um, 
I think I've given this analogy before, but just to kind of like reiterate, we oftentimes justify actions that um, are really centered in this idea of weight loss and claim that we're doing it for health. And I mean, like we're, it's not that we're doing that to like lie to anyone or to ourselves. It's that we're like swimming in this ocean of diet culture that you can't even see the water anymore. Right. It's like we, it's, it's so pervasive and so around you that you have to actively work to tell yourself like, am I doing this for me? Because it makes me feel good because it's what is going to keep me well and, um, live a long, full, happy life that, you know, I can be energetic with my family and I can, you know, um, walk in older age without joint pain or osteoporosis, like whatever your goals are, however you want to think about it, like none of those things have to do with the extra, you know, flap on your arm. That's like the thing that I always point to, right? Like, I, I don't know why people are like so obsessed with that turkey neck on your arm and like needing to tone it or not. Like, yes, muscle mass is important, but like, as you get older, that's not your concern. Like that is not going to yeah. be a worry for you, right? Like if that's, if that's what your life is centered around, I would encourage you to seek out other things that can really make you happy because life is short and we want to feel good in the skin that we're in. We want to feel alive. We want to feel energetic. We want to feel like we're living our best life. And if that energy is spent poking at the extra skin under your arm as you get older and um, which by the way, is just gravity of your skin. Like there's nothing that you're going to be able to do to prevent that from happening short of surgery eventually. Right. So the elasticity in your skin will just give out. Like if you're concerning yourself with that, instead of these things that we're talking about, which are really about this idea, I think of like healthy aging, like that's what I think of, right? Like I want to be able to, you know, not look at stairs and, think like, oh, that's going to hurt me. I don't want to go up the stairs, right? I want to be able to like grab something that I left in my bedroom and just like run up and get it and not think about that. And there was a period of my time, a period of my life where my joints hurt so badly that that was an actual consideration for me. That's what I mean about health. It's like not about what my body weight was at one point or not another point. Because I'll tell you, there was a point in time where I weighed less than I do, where my joints hurt more going up the stairs than they do today. And that's because Mm -hmm. I'm focused on nutrition and anti-inflammation. And I was really using this idea of um, what what I call orthorexia, um, right? Like using some of these dietary things as a mechanism to justify weight loss. Like I wasn't truly thinking about optimizing my digestion and gut health of implementing lifestyle factors that also made me feel good. And, um, I think one of the things that I really enjoyed from some of our recent podcasts, Sarah, this is like an idea that you infused into one of the shows that I was passionate about is this idea of like, wanting to find movement because it brings you joy and makes you feel good as a metric of health. And it was kind of like one of those things where I was like, whoa, yes, when I have been in good places in my life where I'm just like, you know, not obsessively worrying about the scale and just like really 
enjoying my life. I enjoy the feeling of endorphins. I and I enjoy feeling like I've accomplished something and I know that I did it for me and I did it because I feel good on the other side of like look at what I just did or you know what I mean like and now I'm I'm really into Peloton yep. and those classes are um sometimes cathartic and emotional and I really enjoy that too, right? And I'm like that was such a good um I don't want to say idea that you had, but do you know, I, I think that was such like a good connector for me in terms of one of these things of oftentimes we punish ourselves with exercise or we say, I have to work out or we say, um, gosh, how many t-shirts are there that say like, I run for ice cream or whatever, you know, like that's not the mentality that is truly living in your healthy mindset and your best health. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I'm not saying that I am always doing those things. But I I know that that is the journey that I'm on is to inhibit that mindset and those behaviors more and more and more as I seek to improve my health. And my body looks a lot different than it did five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, And at some point, some people would have looked at me and said, I did say, <laughs> like, you look amazing. And meanwhile, like, I was having an autoimmune crash and, you know, I have nodule on my thyroid and, um, you know, my cortisol is all out of whack and all of this stuff because I wasn't digesting what I was eating and I was justifying starving myself and calling it intermittent fasting. It's not to say that if you're intermittent fasting, that that's necessarily what you're doing, but it was what I was doing. And I was, I was telling myself that I was doing something different in order to tell myself that I wasn't participating in diet culture when I really was. So the one thing that I I really want to encourage people to do is challenge themselves and ask those questions because nobody else is going to ask it of you. And, um, we even here on this show have like challenged each other. I remember Sarah, you said something about needing to go on a walk one day. And I was like, hmm, did you, have you thought about the way that you phrased that? Or, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. I just, I feel like, and it's a journey that we both are passionate about. And there is this cross intersection of you can want to optimize your health. You can want to be the best version of yourself while also loving and respecting who you are today without guilt, without shame, without like all this ugliness that the culture has created because that's not necessary and it's not going to help you get to where you're going. And it's why lifestyle factors is such an important aspect of this healing journey. And I know it has been for me um, in terms of like really growing emotionally and really learning these things about myself in order to calm my own stress because there is nothing that manages a flare as it's rising for me better than getting solid sleep, which I cannot do without calming my stress levels on my own. Mm -hmm. You know, all the different things that we've talked about that can do that, you know, light exercise, breathing exercises, telling myself that it doesn't matter. Like, you know, all of these things. And you, you say, well, I just, you know, I want to reduce my inflammation and I want to get healthy. Like I cannot emphasize enough how important the emotional aspect of this is. You you cannot just diet your way into getting rid of some of that stuff. It's it's never going to work. 
I love that you brought up lifestyle because I think that's one of the, um, it's one of the pieces that can often be left to the side when we're like overly focused on like, I've got to change my food. I got to figure out how to shop at my farmer's market, or I got to find the the CSA to belong to. I'm going to, you know, learn how to cook all these new things. And we can get like really overly focused on the diet aspect of health. And the fact is that, you know, diet is just one pillar, uh, that leads to health and getting, um, sufficient quality sleep on a consistent schedule is another pillar. Actively managing stress is another pillar, which would include things like nature time and connection and social support and mindset and, um, you know, dealing with, uh, mental health challenges appropriately, like all of those things fall under that pillar. And then the other pillar is activity, um, which is, both the side of like avoiding being sedentary for long periods of time, um, as well as, so it's like the gentle movement piece, as well as the actual, whatever, you know, walking is very healthy. Like I, it doesn't need to be, you know, bodybuilding or CrossFit or, um, you know, high intensity interval training in order to be healthy. Um, but not that some kinds of are necessarily... like going for a walk. I was just going to say, not that those things are necessarily bad either. Sarah and I have both no. <laughs> had our journeys enjoying I those things as well. I am so looking forward to post-COVID being able to get back to my gym. I really, really miss lifting really, really heavy things off the floor. Um, and I'm sure that what I could lift a year ago is not what I can lift now. And you know what? I am fine with that. This is part of my uh, mindset in navigating how to be healthy during a pandemic, right? This is a whole other thing. So I think the the last piece is looking at our own barriers. Um, so sometimes the barrier is just like education. I just need to understand what is the better choice. And that is what we're here for on this podcast. That's what our websites um, try to do. That's what my online courses do. That's what my books do, is just try to provide that science-rooted educational foundation to inform the choices. So that's one thing. Um, but maybe, um, you know, maybe it's the need for a support network or coaching. Um, and I also actually think, you know, often when I get the I don't know where to start. I will, my first question back is like, well, how's your sleep? Because maybe sleep is the thing to work on before diet, because when you get enough sleep, it regulates your appetite, it regulates cravings. Um, research shows that you'll actually um, choose like fruits and vegetables over fast food. If you're well rested, you'll purchase fewer calories in the grocery store. Like you'll, you'll put less junk food in your cart is what that actually translates to like getting enough sleep. And then if you're well rested, that's one of our best things to improve our resilience to stress. Like, like just dealing with that one lifestyle piece can actually help diet changes be easier. Um, it can help diet changes happen naturally, like diet improvements. Um, it can help manage stress. It can make us feel more motivated to get out and move our bodies. Like that one thing can actually make all of the other things just kind of happen without effort. Um, so maybe the best place to put effort in is what do I need to do to support 
better quality sleep and make sure that I'm getting enough sleep on a consistent schedule because that helps regulate all of those hormones and neurotransmitters that are leading to all of those other things and making them easier. So sometimes the best place to start isn't even diet. Sometimes the best place to start is to set ourselves up so that we we can actually make the diet changes. And I'll also point back to our recent show on habits and how looking at um, what do we do automatically without thinking about it that is a barrier to us affecting positive change and how can I look at um, – you know, trying to get, a, you know, get on my way on my little health journey from a habit perspective. So sometimes it's a learning curve, right? Like how do I, how do I even just like shop and cook and eat this way? Um, do you need to, to do some planning around um, how to fit in more time cooking into a busy schedule? Is there a time management challenge? Do you have a budget challenge? Do you need to figure out how to be able to eat this way within a really tight budget. That's going to also potentially influence where on this hierarchy you want to start. Because if you can start with, um, I'm going to do Nutrivor and I'm going to include, you know, some like rice and traditionally prepared legumes into my diet, um, that's going to help with a budget constraint. Um, or maybe it's symptoms or energy level that's getting in the way of healing. And that might be motivating to start more on the AIP side of the spectrum because um, it's going to be better to sort of like heal faster to get more energy to be able to, you know, get the snowball of good rolling down the hill. Um, maybe you're trying to figure out how to do this with uh, a family um, you know, household members that are not on board. And you're trying to figure out how am I going to do this and cook for my family, something different than I want to cook for myself, then maybe the most flexible approach is going to be worthwhile. Um, maybe you're worried about temptation in the house. Um, so doing some planning to figure out what are going to be my, um, you know, substitute foods that are going to help me stay on track that I'll be able to have when my family's having this. Um, if you're somebody who has a history of yo-yo dieting on again, off again, you know, maybe the flexible approach is the better approach um, because maybe that rigid structure is um, not setting you up to succeed um, with the sustainability aspect. If you have a bad relationship with food, um, you know, I have a history of binge eating disorder. Stacy has a history of disordered eating we've had to deal with our relationships with food as part of our health journeys and how, um, how we reconcile those, um, emotions. And also for me, it's compulsions, right? Like that is, that has been a really important part. So a lot of the, the mindset can be really important, but also looking at the decision of where to start from the perspective of, what is going to set me up to succeed? Um, do I do I always start a diet with breakfast and then cravings derail me halfway through the day and I never actually get through a full day on a diet? If that's my history of dieting, A, this is diet culture's problem, but B, like, does that, I mean, let's look at breakfast and let's look at how we can actually just make that breakfast be something that is going to 
set ourselves up to get through a whole day of better choices. And maybe the framework needs to be more flexible so that we can succeed. Um, you know, maybe, um, you know, one of the big challenges that, um, we see is combining protocols where we're doing not just low FODMAP and gaps and AIP, but also I have this allergy testing and also, you know, um, I've got something else that I'm adding in and I'm only eating seven foods that doesn't actually qualify as any of the dietary templates because it, it makes eating a, a Nutrafort diet impossible. So having a look at like a reflection of where am I, where do I want to go and what are going to be the speed bumps between here and there that I need to navigate. And that can help decide what is going to be the tool that I use to get to my goal, or at least the tool that I use to, you know, get over those first few speed bumps, and then I can bring in another tool, or then I can modify my tool to get to that goal. But being able to, we can't obviously predict every challenge that we're going to have, but being able to take that step backwards um, and really looking at our health journeys, A, as a journey, and and knowing that taking steps on that journey is totally a great way to go about it. Like some people do great with just ripping off the bandaid and jumping all in and just doing all of the things all of a sudden one day, but a lot of people don't. And however you are a person who um, can implement change in your life, whether it's all in, whether it's incremental, whether you start incremental and then jump in, Maybe you approach this differently than someone else in your household who wants to come along on the health journey with you. Maybe you go all in and they go incrementally. That's what we did in my household. Um, you know, those are all valid approaches. And so the the answer here is there's actually no wrong answer in where to start. Um, it is, it, I mean, it needs to be a very individual choice. It needs to be a choice that you're willing to reevaluate down the line to see how it's working for you and whether or not there's room for improvement. But the, the most important, the most important place to start your health journey is to start. And however you structure those first few steps so that you can actually make them, that is the right answer. The one thing that I would add to that is that it's not just about like what step will get you started, but what will help you keep sustained? I mean, you heard us recently yeah. talk about like New Year's resolutions consistently fail for a majority of people. We don't want you to think of this as a short term solution that you're not setting yourself up for success. This is something that over time becomes what you adapt to your lifestyle. You learn what works for you and what doesn't. And that will likely change over time as you have, you know, stressful periods, as you heal your gut, as you, you know, like it's this whole roller coaster. And what I will say is that if you start out going from fast food to making your own organ burgers, it's probably not going to be successful. Maybe Jumping into autoimmune might be on paper the best thing for you, but if you're not going to stick with it, that is not actually the best thing for you. Right. So, I mean, we actually wrote Real Life Paleo, which was our third book, with this idea of like these three phases of 
ultimately, which was kind of Nutrivore because Sarah and I were talking about it in phase three, which is like step one is you eliminate the worst things. Step two is it kind of looked like paleo. And step three is it kind of looked like Nutrivore with um, extra focus on vegetables and organ meats and nutrient density in general. So not that I'm saying you can't do that without our book, but I do think that for some people, you need to consider Yes, it might be the best thing for you, but if it's not sustainable for you or if you try to implement something for your whole family and you know that they're going to give you a hard time and make you feel badly about it, like what can you do to come together as a family and say, this is really important for me and I want to try it for 14 days, 30 days, 90 days. And things might look different, but that's because I need to remove these things from the pantry so that I'm not tempted. Can you help me do that? You know, if you maybe if you explain it to them that way, because I do think that having a support system, especially these days being locked in our homes with the same people um, mm-hmm. for a lot, right? If, if they're not helping and being supportive and you aren't set up for success, this is, this is going to feel like a failure. And the last thing that we want is for you to feel like you failed. So let me just also say, you decide that you're going to do this one path, right? This one swim lane, and you make all these great efforts and you make all these great changes. And then, you know, you're PMSing and you dive face first into a carton of Ben and Jerry's. Um, okay, it's done. It doesn't mean that everything that you work towards has ended, and it doesn't mean that tomorrow you can't continue to make those choices. It's done. It's over. You didn't fail. You made a choice. Like, just keep making the best choices that you can as often as you can and feel good knowing that that is progress towards change. I will be the first one to tell you I am not perfect. My diet is not perfect. My lifestyle is not perfect. And... I can't even tell you the stress meter <laughs> this week with, you know, all the things that I have going on. It's a new semester at school. I have a new foster kiddo and um, Matt is delivering mail for really long days in a blizzard. Like my stress meter is off the roof. So you know what I did last night? I went to bed. I did like really good time for me that Sarah would have said was late for her, but that's okay. <laughs> but like, I I woke up this morning and I was like, I feel really proud of myself that yesterday I rode the Peloton and I went to bed at a decent time. That was good enough for me to feel good about. I, I don't even know what I ate yesterday, and but that was not my priority. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, well, I mean, I totally do. I, um, I love sort of wrapping up this whole conversation, um, bringing us back to the, um, very common now idiom, don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. And really looking at change as, um, getting away from diet culture and, you know, I need to lose 10 pounds to fit in that dress for that wedding. And instead, you know, really look at health as being the reflection of our day-to-day choices and look at how we can set ourselves up to make better choices more often and really look at, you know, the cumulative value of all those good choices instead of 
the couple of suboptimal choices as being um, failures, right? Like they were suboptimal choices. Let's make better choices next time. Um, and suboptimal choices, you know, for most people, like our bodies are amazingly resilient. Even those of us who are struggling with chronic illness, right? I have three or four, depending on whether or not you count fibromyalgia, autoimmune diseases. Um, and I can still see the resilience in my body. If I make a suboptimal choice, and guess what? I do frequently make suboptimal choices because I'm human. Um, and I can instead, you know, look at those choices as being, you know, I chose to indulge in that delicious um, chocolate thing. And it's always chocolate thing. Let's, let's, uh, let's be real. And, um, and that was something that nourished me in a different way because it was this amazing, you know, I was having a great time with my family. I, this was a choice I made and, um, I'm going to choose to not have that chocolate thing on a daily basis because I know when I do, I don't feel my best, but I'm not going to feel guilty over choosing it that time because, uh, it was delicious and I loved it. And, you know, I wasn't, I know that I wasn't crossing the line of the thing that would like really hurt me because I've done this health journey long enough to know, you know, that chocolate thing did not have gluten. It did not have dairy, right? Those things wreck me. And part of this journey is understanding our bodies well enough to know the choices that we're going to be able to recover from and be resilient to versus the choices that are going to be like teachable moment opportunities, uh, life lessons, learning opportunities where we go, okay, uh, I know now that that is a choice that I don't want to repeat. And we can even see those choices as a moment of empowerment because now I know that about my body. Now I know the last time I was glutened, I was, uh, violently ill for, um, three weeks. I couldn't eat anything or move very far from a bathroom for three days. It was miserable. And, um, and that for me was like, that was the day that I was like, oh, I will never be on even like a casual first name basis with gluten. Like that's not, it's not ever gonna happen. We're never, we're never gonna be able to hang out in the same room. We're just, we're not gonna be friends. It's, and it's fine. I have completely reconciled with that. That is part of my health journey and that's not necessarily gonna be part of your health journey. So part of this is looking at looking at our choices as opportunities to learn and instead of looking at them as whether or not I succeeded or failed. Um, if you were taking a class at school and you got a bad grade on one assignment, you're not going to fail the whole class because of your bad grade on one assignment. And what you're going to learn is next assignment, I'm going to need to, you know, do something different so that I can get a good grade. Life is like that too with our health choices. Um, so thinking about things in terms of um, learning opportunities, em the empowerment that we get from that knowledge and um, opportunities to have a solution oriented mindset. I, um, you know, fell headfirst into that Ben and Jerry's um, next time I'm going to have a dairy-free ice cream at home so that, um, the choice is, you know, I, I, will still fall head first into something, but it's not going to, you know, for me, somebody who's incredibly sensitive to dairy, it's, it's not going to make me 
sick like that again. Um, sometimes they do have, the they do have non-dairy ice cream, by the way. This is not. Oh, Ben and Jerry's does. This is not mm-hmm. a commercial, but I'm just letting you know. <laughs> um, that was knowledge I really didn't actually need, <laughs> but I can't unlearn what I have learned, as Yoda did not. Sorry, say. I'm not sorry. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. We're over an hour, which we're committed to stop doing. Um, I just, I wholeheartedly agree and feel like the last, what, 20 minutes of this are really essential to the first, like, previous um, sections of it. So um, I I think that um, just have grace with yourself. I, I love the don't let perfection be the enemy of the good, but I also will say just be kind to yourself. Have grace. Don't be meaner to yourself than you would be to anybody else. Um, you deserve love from yourself and from others. So um, that love can look like self-respect in making the best choices that you can. That's how I choose to phrase this. Like my lifestyle decisions are um, a, a way to give myself self-love, self-care, self-respect. It is the month of self-love, by the way, that is how I choose to think of Valentine's in February. So maybe there's something that we talked about here that you think, you know what, I, I really would feel better. I would enjoy going to bed on a consistent basis a little bit earlier. Great. That is a wonderful place to start and we are proud of you. So thank you so much for listening this week and we'll be back again next week. As always, we've got a lot of FAQs (laughs) that I think we're Mm going to cover. Um, And I just want to, again, thank everyone for their positivity and support on the last couple of shows, which we know we're going to stir the pot and open the worms and do all the things. And you guys are just always the most wonderful community. So thank you so much. We'll be back next week. Do you love the whole view podcast? We'd love for you to leave us a review wherever you listen and share a podcast with your friends and family. And did you know that you can now get exclusive behind the scenes content on Patreon for less than the price of an almond milk matcha a month? Your Patreon membership supports us and gets you access to a monthly bonus episode. But not for kids ears because our bonus content is explicit. You can find us as the whole view on Patreon for our real unfiltered thoughts on this week's episode. like left it hanging there for you like a dangling chad i I caught it uh with with like you can come on through thanks almost enough pause that matt's gonna have to fix the pause seeking the truth never gets old introducing june's journey the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery join june parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.